So my first thought on reading this gospel is, that's an awful lot of wine. I mean, we have six stone jars, 30 gallons each. It's advanced math. But if you follow, that's 180 gallons of wine. That's a lot of wine. Kind of makes you maybe rethink who God is so he's not so stuffy and uh, repressive, huh? This is Jesus' first miracle. Isn't that great? We need to think about that. It's his first miracle. I found a great quote from British author, her name's Carol Hauslander. She said this, it is a delight to think that his first miracle was in no way connected with unhappiness. It was not healing sickness, forgiving sins, or raising the dead. It was simply giving joy. God wants your joy. He wants your joy. He delights in you. Do you believe that? That he delights in you. We heard in the first reading from Isaiah, for the Lord delights in you as a bridegroom rejoices in his bride, so shall your God rejoice in you. In the congregation, there's a, at least a couple new married couples who got married in this place, right? And there's at least one engaged couple that's brand new as well. She's not walking around, like, just doing this, like, you know, hi, good to see you. No. One of my favorite things in a wedding is when the bride walks down the aisle and to see the joy at the side of the bridegroom in that moment. Oftentimes it's accompanied with tears. But there's joy. Friends, that is a tiny glimpse of how God feels toward each and every one of us. He's not disappointed in you. Even if you're Christmas break was a total spiritual train wreck. He delights in you. He loves you. His first movement toward us is one of joy, not recrimination, certainly not punishment. Jesus came to bring his life to us. That's why he does this miracle, and that's why there's a superabundance of the wine, 180 gallons, after the party had been started. Why? Because God's goodness to us is more than we could take in. It's always more than we can take in. Jesus wants us to be swept up in his joy. John 10.10, Jesus says, I came that you might have life and have it to the full. And then later in John, John 15, he says, I have told you this so that my joy might be in you and your joy might be complete. That's who Jesus is. We get it so wrong with God. Part of it is because our sinfulness makes us distrust who he is. We have sin-sick eyes, so we don't see God rightly or clearly. And we see him as a harsh taskmaster or someone who's disappointed in us. Another Englishman, uh, the late, maybe not so great, Christopher Hitchens, he did a lot of damage with his promotion of atheism. He had this belief about God. He said this, if God exists 
it would be like being in a permanent spiritual North Korea. If God exists, it'd be like being in a permanent spiritual North Korea. That's completely wrong. It's completely wrong. The truth couldn't be further from that statement. But that's what happens. We see God as a threat to us, as an overlord, oppressor. But that's not true, my friends. It is not true. And few things in your life could be more important than realizing that God desires nothing but your joy. All he wants is your full flourishing, you fully alive. Saint Irenaeus in the second century, he said, Gloria Dei homo vivens. The glory of God is man fully alive. That's what God wants, for you to be fully alive. Now, how do we get there? How do we experience that full life and let the divine joy into our lives? We'll get ready. Follow her last words in scripture. Do whatever he tells you. Do whatever he tells you. So obey. Like, wait, what? My joy is tied to obedience? Absolutely it is. Because when we obey God, we're putting ourselves in direct contact with the one who brings his joy to us and who gives it to us. It's not like obeying a mandate from the government or something like that. There's no joy in that. There's just force and coercion. But with God, it's different. Because God's all in for us. He doesn't force us. He doesn't coerce us. When he asks for our obedience, he's asking in the way that we need to understand obedience. Obedire in Latin. To listen to. So this, my friends, when God asks for our obedience, we should understand at least three things. First is this, that God speaks to us that he has something to say, that he loves us, that he wants a real relationship with us. That's prayer. That's the first thing, to listen to him. Just a few days ago, the church had in her daily mass the reading of Samuel, right, who's getting called by the Lord. Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. That's what Eli finally tells Samuel when he realizes God's calling him. Just say this, speak, Lord, your servant's listening. So that's for us. When we come to prayer, speak, Lord. Your servant's listening. Okay? Second is this, that whatever, whatever, whatever he asks of you is for your good. Whatever God asks, he never asks you to do something that is not for your good and your flourishing, even and especially when he asks something that's hard. Because he knows us and he loves us. And he wants to form us into being the type of people who can be with him forever. And that means leaving behind small ways, immaturities, inconsistencies in our faith. So he calls us out of those things to grow and to become strong in him. And then third is this, that I'm not just called to listen, but I'm called to do. Not just think about, but do what he asks. That's what Mary says to the servants. Do whatever he tells you. That our listening comes into our hearts and we're convinced that it's good for us and then we put it into practice. 
We live it. That's how we're called to live. And that point leads us to one of the most crucial things in the spiritual life. That our life is simply not about us. It's simply not. St. Paul says in Romans, he says, none of us lives for himself and none of us dies for himself. For as we live, we are responsible to God and when we die, we die as his servants. For both in life and death, we belong to God. We're the Lord's. We belong to him. So friends, the key to our joy is obeying. It's obedience because we're most joyful when we're loving. And love is directly connected to obedience. Jesus says, John 14, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And then later in John 14, whoever has my commandments and observes them is the one who loves me. And whoever loves me will be loved by my Father. And I will love him and reveal myself to him. And then in 1 John, for the love of God is this, that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. His commandments are not burdensome. To live as God asks, as he teaches us in the scriptures, as he communicates to us through his church, that's not a burden, that's a blessing. It's the very condition of our freedom and it's the condition of our joy. Now maybe, actually not maybe, certainly, we all have done the other thing. To live our own way, to do our own thing, to say I can do whatever I want. And oftentimes to see God and to see his church as holding me back in a type of spiritual North Korea. But my friends, how has that worked out for you? How has it been doing your own thing over and against God? It's so important to think about that and to feel it. It's not freedom and it's certainly not joy. There's a slavery there. And Jesus Christ came to set the captives free. And he does so with a smile on his face, a delight in setting us free. But there's a condition to be about his will. And what a great thing to start this semester with, a firm and joyful yes to God, to say your will be done. I want what you want, Lord. Let it be done. In fact, let's just take that from Our Lady whose words in the gospel are perfect for us. Do whatever he tells you. Try it, my friends. Do whatever he tells you. And if you need an answer to that question of doing whatever he tells you, she gave it. She said in her own life, fiat, let it be done. So to the question of doing the Lord's will and what is it, just say, Lord, your will be done. Let it be done today. And in that, I promise you, you will find your joy.